Good morning. Welcome. I'm glad all of you are here. And again, we get the nice, calm rain on the roof. I love that sound. I really do. I don't like when it's raining because we got to walk through it, but I love the sound of it on the roof. At our house, we have a little uh, above our stove, we have the vent hood, and then the, that goes up, you know, a pipe goes up and through the roof, and then there's a metal vent. And, and so the, the rain will just trickle on that vent hood, and you can hear it throughout that. I really love that. Uh, it's really calming, as long as I don't have to go outside. <laughs> uh, anyway, I had a, this morning, this for me, has been really, really great. This um, has been a uh, stressful week um, on a lot of different fronts. It's not just Christmas, but you know how things pile up around this time of year? Have you ever experienced that? And uh, so I had one of those weeks, and it was really stressful. And even as we were just doing that song, God is Love, like I'm responsible for keeping us on time and all that kind of stuff. But I got a little lost in the middle of that song. And I, I think we stayed on. I, I think we were good. But I was just kind of washed up in that moment because it's been, it's been a week. And um, about Thursday, uh, I was thinking about the message and thinking about, you know, what we were going to be doing for the weekend. And I was just like, I was done. I was, I was about ready to try and go find one of those... TV carts, you know, with a TV on it and the VCR and just like after the music, just walk off stage and roll this thing out here and be like, I'm sorry, guys. You know, I mean, if it's good enough for a teacher, it's good enough for me. <laughs> just be like, <laughs> you know what, guys, we're going to show a movie. I swear. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> my, my kids, not now you, Carl. No, no, not you. But I, I we had my, <laughs> so my kids, there was like Tuesday. They're like, we watched a movie in class today. I was like, woof, that got started early. You know, <laughs> it's been a long stretch. I get it. But not going to do that, obviously. Uh, as, we've, as we've been uh, looking at the Christmas season uh, every year, it's, it's always interesting because we get to Christmas and it's like, this is okay. We do this every year. It's the same story every year. So how do we look at this in a different way? How do we keep it fresh? How do we keep it different? How do we, and, and I think that's important for us to do, not only you know, as, as a church, but just as individuals. Otherwise, we can just get in the routine of things and start, you know, everything's the same every single year, all the same traditions, all the same thoughts. And it can start to lose its meaning and its, and its value and the, the deepness, the depth of what Christmas really is. And so every year we try to look at it a little different way. And the way we're approaching our our discussions here um, are we're looking at the different gospels that talk about the birth of Jesus and talking about why the author chose to write what they chose to write. Because in the gospels, there's four gospels. Mark doesn't talk about it at all. And we talked about why that was um, last week. John focuses on the relational stuff. So John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's his nativity story. So we talked about that last week and, and, and how we can think about that through this season. Luke includes all the details that we're so used to um, because, and we'll talk about those on Saturday night with our services on Saturday night. And today we're gonna look at Matthew. So what did Matthew write why did he write it so we can understand? And this also, I think, helps a little bit with reference when you're trying to think like, oh, which one wrote about the angels? Well, that was probably Luke. And then that'll take you to Luke. So these are some of the things that we learn as we go along that help us find things in Scripture. So I want to talk today about Matthew. And we, we talked more in depth about this last week. So if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go, to go back and listen to last week's message. Um, got a lot of great comments about last week's message. Uh, Matthew, when he writes his gospel, his target audience are Jews. So he's specifically, he's not writing to Gentiles. He's not really even thinking about us and our culture today, of course. He's writing to Jews at the time because he wants his fellow Jews to understand and to see that Jesus is the Messiah they've been waiting for. 
So Matthew uses a ton of prophecy and brings in a lot of, a lot of that stuff to validate and show Jesus is who you've been looking for. So all the facts line up. All, it all lines up. This is all what it's been pointing to. And you need to see that that is, in fact, the case. So when Matthew starts his gospel, the first thing he begins with is a genealogy. Because the most important thing, the first qualifier for the Messiah is that the Messiah has to be a son of David, has to be the descendant, the direct descendant of King David. And so Matthew wants to show that that is, in fact, the case. And so he starts with a genealogy. And I don't know if you're like a history nerd or whatever. Some of you are. I know some of you aren't. But I find this stuff fascinating. I'm, I'm going to try. I'm not going to talk too much about the genealogy. But I, I find that the older I get, the more interested I am in my own history and my own lineage and where I came from. And so it's interesting to see these family trees. And here's one of the things that kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, I got into the whole Ancestry.com thing, because I've, I've always been told, well, you're Welsh and you're German and you're, you know, a little Italian, a little French, like, a, um, you know, I'm a mutt. Anyway, so, you know, like, they're, my family's all told me that, but I really wanted to look into the whole Ancestry thing. So I got an account on Ancestry.com and I started doing all the research and it's a little sketchy. Like I, I think it's accurate or as accurate as it could be, but we're going back through and I'm following and I'm realizing that my, it's a lot more complicated than I thought it was. Because if you do the math, I have two parents, I have four grandparents. That means I have eight great grandparents. It means I have 16 great, great grandparents. It means I have 32 is that 32? Great, great, great grandparents. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I start chasing all these lines and the names are changing all over the place. And I was like, what in the world is going on? I just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I was like, I can't chase all these things down. I can't follow all these lines. So I was like, which one do I really want to follow? And for me, I wanted to follow the, the, the paternal line. So I was like, all right, let's just track back with the Allens, father and son. That's what I wanted to do. You could do that however you want. But that's the way when they were doing genealogies at this time, that's the way they categorized them. That's the way they, fo they followed them. Father to firstborn son. That's the way they tracked it. I went all the way back, and I've gotten, for me, back to um, the mid-1500s. That's the farthest back I can go, to a guy in Baden-Württemberg, Germany. Okay? We were gone before all the other stuff. I just want to be clear about that. All right, but in, in, in Germany, and um, his name was, believe it or not, Abraham Allen. Abraham, Father Abraham, him and his sons, I am one of them, and so are you. Yeah, yeah, so I really am. But anyway, so uh, you go all the way back to Abraham, which is kind of cool. And um, they were there, they were Protestants, they were there during the Protestant Reformation and were part of all that, and it's really cool. So it's neat to see where you've come from and to go back through your history. So what Matthew starts his gospel with, he has to, in order to prove that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus has to be a descendant of King David. And that's why he starts with the genealogy. So let's take a look at that as we begin. All right, Matthew chapter one, very first verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So there's the answer before we even get started. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He starts off with Abraham in verse two. Abraham begot Isaac. I am not going to go through all the names. There's a whole lot of begotten going on, all right? We talked about that word last week. Begotten means to come out of. So this is physically, in this case, physically birthing. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, it goes on down through the line. And we get to Jesse in verse six. Jesse and Jesse begot David the king. 
David, the king, begot Solomon. Now let's pause for just a second. We'll skip over some of the names here too. There are two genealogies of Jesus in, re- recorded in the Gospels. The, the Jews were incredibly detailed, incredibly diligent about recording genealogies. It was very important to them. There's one here in Matthew chapter 1. There's another one in Luke chapter 2. These two genealogies are different from each other at this point. They, all, they are the same down to King David, and then they're different after that. The genealogy here goes from David to Solomon. This is his firstborn son. The genealogy in Luke chapter 3 goes from David to Nathan, which is another son of King David. Why are they different? They're different because Luke's purpose in his gospel, not because there's an error or not because they disagree, but because Luke's purpose in his gospel is different than Matthew's purpose in his gospel. In Luke's gospel, he is trying to record the the offense as detailed as possible. So what Luke does is he follows the bloodline. And he goes from all the way down from Abraham to King David and then Nathan down to Mary. So he follows Mary's uh, bloodline down to her. So then that would be the, the, the child of Mary. That's what Luke does. Matthew, however, chooses because of the purpose of his gospel to follow the paternal line. And so he goes Solomon, which is how the, the rights as king were passed down, goes from Solomon and then down to Joseph. All right. So he follows all of that And so that's what he's doing. That's why there's a difference here. It's why he goes to Solomon and Luke goes to Nathan. Their purposes and their gospels are different. All right. So uh, King David begot Solomon. Again, a bunch of begetting. And then verse 11, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. So the Babylonian exile is another mile marker here. It's another mile post that he brings up. And after they were brought to Babylon... Jeconiah begot Shealtiel. All right, more begetting. Verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So you'll notice that that he does not say uh, Joseph begot Jesus. He doesn't say that because he didn't. He knows that, right? So he knows that that, that, that bloodline doesn't pass down through Joseph to Jesus, Okay, so he points that out. And then verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. It's almost like Matthew's like, eh? Like he doesn't say that and you can't, you can't read in the tone, but it's almost like he's like, eh? Eh? See, 14, 14, 14, makes sense. You probably should have seen this coming. You probably should have been able to track this line all the way down. You should have seen the timing, and you should have known. You should have known. From the very beginning of of his gospel, what Matthew is saying is to the Jews, you should have known. You should have seen him. It adds up. It makes sense. He is the guy. But unfortunately, the Jews, and this is what Matthew is trying to break through, The Jews had, among other things, expectation blinders on, okay? They couldn't see Jesus for who he was when it was so clear because they were expecting something else. So they just couldn't get it. We do this, you and me do this all the time. 
Um, and my favorite example, forgive me, those of you that have been around for a while, you've already heard this example, but I only have so many. So, uh, you know, I'm going to repeat it if you hang out here for a while. But if you're new, this is new. Um, one of my favorite examples of expectation blinders come out of the fact that I grew up in a miracle whip household. Feel free, man. I love it. You can, you know, you know, more miracle whip for me. That's what I say. Right? I grew up in a miracle whip family. I, I grew up in, we're weird, okay? I grew up in upstate, or in western New York, okay? I grew up in Rochester, New York. We were a miracle whip family. I, we had mayo, okay? Like Hellman's, I think. Kraft, okay? We didn't have Dukes, I'm telling you, all right? I have Dukes in my fridge now, so before you, like, try to, like, run me out of here, I am a Dukes guy now, and I get it, but, but we grew up using miracle whip for everything that mayonnaise would be used for so my sandwiches, when I was in school, I would pack my lunch and go to school. My sandwich was white bread, Miracle Whip, bologna, American cheese, Miracle Whip, bread. That was my sandwich in a plastic bag. That's how we rolled. Right? That was my life. We put Miracle Whip on eggs, scrambled eggs. It's good. Don't knock it till you try it. Miracle Whip and, and ketchup. Yeah, yeah. Classy. I know. We, we were at the height of class. We were a Miracle Whip family. But here's what I could never understood. Here's what I could never understand. On the bottle of Miracle Whip, it says salad dressing. And all I could ever think was, what kind of psychopath? Like, what, what, sort, of, what sort of trauma would you have to have in your life to pull out and have this beautiful fresh salad in front of you and to go to the fridge and get a big old dollop of Miracle Whip and just plop that on top of your lettuce. It makes no sense at all to me. I couldn't understand. And I struggled with this for years and years and years. And even after we moved here and I experienced mayonnaise and, and, and I had Dukes in the fridge, one day, 38 years old, I was 38 years old, sitting by myself, and I went, macaroni salad broccoli salad, potato salad. There are other kinds of salad other than just lettuce in a bowl. It finally dawned on me. Oh, and I was like, oh, how dumb am I? Why could I not see when I had macaroni salad is one of my favorite things in the entire world. Why could I not see that that's what it was talking about? It's because I had always used it as mayonnaise substitute right? I'd always used it this way, so that's how I expected it to be used, and I wasn't thinking about, I had expectation blinders on. I know that's a silly example, but it's an example. When you're expecting one thing, or you think about something one particular way, it's hard to see it any other way. So the Jews, when they're thinking about this Messiah that's coming, what they're hoping for and what they're expecting is a king like they're used to kings being. They're looking for someone to be born of a queen. They're looking for someone to be born in a palace. They're looking for someone who's going who's gonna to come and rule and reign, and in their case, overthrow the Roman government and bring the power back to their nation. That's what they're looking for. The, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders are the ones that have, that have rotten hearts, and Jesus points out that many of them do, are looking for a Savior that's going to come and give them power and prestige and wealth and, and all of those kinds of things. And Jesus wasn't any of that. And because he wasn't any of that, they couldn't see him. So Matthew needs them to see through his gospel. He needs them to break through those expectation biases that they have or the blinders that they have so they can see that Jesus is the Messiah 
that has been prophesied about. And so he goes over prophecy over and over and over again. And he chooses the paternal line, right? He chooses Joseph, even though Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. And he knows that, and he points that out when he goes through the genealogy, right? He doesn't say that Joseph begat or begot Jesus. He says that Joseph was the husband of Mary who gave birth to the Savior. But next, he chooses to tell us something very intentional. He knows that that line, he knows that isn't going to quite add up. And so that's why he tells us what he tells us next. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So for those of you that may be new to this, this, the details of the story, um, they were betrothed, which in our case, we, we would equate that roughly to being engaged. However, for them, to be betrothed was a legally binding agreement. Like it had already, the transaction was done. You just hadn't consummated the marriage or moved in together. That all happens after the wedding. There was a betrothal period, but they were legally bound to one another. And during this time, before they had wink, wink, nudge, nudge, she is found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph, he has a, Joseph, who is of the line, the lineage of King David, has a very big decision to make, a very big decision. And in their culture, the most merciful thing that he could have done or that would have been expected or accepted is what he decided to do. That's what Matthew tells us. Uh, verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Um, that doesn't mean lock her in a room for the next nine months, by the way. Uh, he literally is going to divorce her. And in their, in their culture, that would have been the most reasonable and merciful thing for him to do. Rather than punish her, which, which he could have had her stoned, he could have had her punished. And instead, he decides to put her away secretly to keep it quiet, to not make a big spectacle of it. And that would have been the honorable thing for him to do in their society. And I know we might look at that today and say that wouldn't be the, we wouldn't call that the honorable thing, or we might not think that it is. But we always have to keep things in cultural context when we read scripture. They are not people today, and we cannot judge their actions then by our standards today. That's, that's not fair. So he had in mind to do the reasonable and the right thing and the just thing, um, which they would have considered, and that was to, to divorce her. All right, but verse 20 while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Now, why would Matthew include that? Joseph, son of David. It's an important detail, right? It shows his heirship. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So what's Matthew saying? He's saying, look, the prophecy said this was going to happen. 
Now, the astute, detail-oriented folks among us will say, wait a minute, the angel told him to name him Jesus, and the prophecy said his name, will, he will be called Emmanuel. Yes, there's a difference in their culture. Again, these are cultural differences between these concepts of what somebody is named and what somebody is called. Okay? Jesus, his proper name was Jesus, like John, you know, or, what, or Jimmy, or whatever. That, that's his proper name. Um, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his role, okay? The Christ, the Christ is the Messiah, okay? So Jesus Christ, that's not first and last. That is, that is uh, Jesus is his proper name. Christ is his role. Emmanuel is what he will be described as or called. God with us. This will be God in the flesh. And he was. So that's why there's not a discrepancy here. Matthew, here's the thing. When people point that out, they're like, oh, well, look, see? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Matthew knew that. Okay? Matthew knew that those weren't the same. He's not, he's not a fool. He, he knows those are not the same. And there's no discrepancy. There's no conflict when Matthew writes this. And he knows there's going to be no conflict with his readers. They had a different understanding of this. They would not have seen those as two different things. Okay, so that's important for us to, to, to pay attention to. All right, so he says, It shall be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What does Joseph do? You know what Joseph does. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Despite all the cultural pressure that would have been against him, he had already had in his mind what he was going to do, and he thought it was the right thing. And the angel says, no, this is the right thing. Nobody would do this, but this is the right thing. And he does it. And he takes Mary to be his wife, and he adopts Jesus as his son as he does that. I think there is something really significant in that. The fact that Jesus was born not of the bloodline of King David, not the biological bloodline of King David, but that Jesus was born, or that Jesus was the son of Joseph by adoption. I think that's significant. And, and I, I'm, I've been a Christian for a very long time, and I've thought about this and read it and, 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 and studied it, and, and I've done a bunch of Christmas messages now. This is the first time that dawned on me. <laughs> it's the first time it dawned on me that Jesus is the adopted son of Joseph. And I think there's something really beautiful and symbolic in that. And in, in their culture, an adopted son would have all the rights and the heirship of the father, just like a biological son. We, it's just like us with God. We are all adopted children of God. That through Jesus, we are, when we're, we are heirs. If we are sons and daughters, then we are heirs of the Father. We just finished reading that and studying that. We are, we are heirs. And so Jesus is an heir of the Father. He, he receives the right to be the king because he is an adopted son of Joseph. I think that is incredible and it's beautiful. It's something to think even more about and to reflect on. Jesus was um, not the begotten son of Joseph, he was the adopted son of Joseph. And so heir to everything that Joseph was heir to. Jesus was not the begotten son of David. He's an adopted son of David. That's, that's incredible. So if you think of it like this, Jesus is the only begotten son of God. But he is the adopted son of David. 
Man, it's just so cool. It's so cool to think of it that way. And because of that, because of that, even though Jesus was not born of man or born of the flesh, he is still heir. He is still the king. And so the baby who is born in the manger in the middle of nowhere where nobody was paying attention is the king. He is the king they've been waiting for. That's the point that Matthew is trying to make here. So they can see it all adds up. It makes that the prophets told us this was going to happen. All right. Now let's go into um, chapter two. Go to chapter two. Verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. A couple of things. First of all, do you understand why Matthew's including this? Right? He needs the, the, the fulfillment of prophecy and other kings are coming to worship the king. So when you're thinking about this and you're like, hey, which gospel is the, is the, is the magi thing in? Is the wise men thing in? Oh, well, that's going to be in Matthew because that's what he's trying to prove. That helps you find it and reference it. Right, so these kings, this is what I think is fascinating. They come from the east. Where, how far east, not 100% sure. People have theories on it. We don't know. It's okay. If you want to dive into that rabbit hole, go ahead. But they came from the east, a ways to the east. And these magi are guys who are, they're not Jewish. They are not Christian, obviously. <laughs> they, these are, magi is the same root that we have for the word magician. These are, these are sorcerers. They are um, the closest thing to astronomers they have at the time. They're wise men. They probably have tons of different religious texts that they're reading and studying, all kinds of things, maybe from, from, from Chinese dynasties and from, they certainly have the, the Old Testament scriptures and they, they're well-versed in all these prophecies. They're looking for signs. They're looking for symbols. And one of the things they believe is that when a new star appears, that symbolizes the birth of a new king. And so they see this star appear and they start following it so they can worship this king. Whether they know it's the king of the Jews or not, we don't really know. They may not know that until they show up in Jerusalem and that's where the star is. And so they put the pieces together. Maybe they know right away. Maybe they're looking at the scriptures. We don't really know. But they're just following the star. And one of the things that it just, it's a small detail. And it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's so interesting is that there is nothing in scripture that talks about stars being used by God in any sort of spiritual way or whatever. These were mystical, spiritual people, and God used something that would grab their attention. Even though they didn't know what they were doing, presumably, or why they were following it, or who this king was, he used that, their desire, and their looking, he used something that they would see as a symbol to draw them to the truth. And I think this is so important for us to keep in mind when we look at people in our world and our culture that are, that are truly looking for truth. They're looking for something in their life that they feel like they're missing, but they may not know how to find it. They may, not, they may not know the right path to take. They may not have the right influences around them to know that what they're looking for is a relationship with their heavenly father through Jesus, but they just don't have any way of knowing that's what it is. And so they chase after all kinds of other spiritual, mystical kinds of things 
But God can use those things ultimately to draw them to the truth. And so when you meet somebody who is spiritual or is of another religion or another faith, don't denigrate them or demean them or whatever because of that. Look in it. And also don't, I'm not saying to encourage that either, to to chase after another religion or some false god or something. But look in that for the spark that they're chasing after. Recognize that, value that, and say, hey, I think that this might be what you're looking for. I know you're looking for it in this way, but this might be what you're looking for. And in your heart, you know that actually is what they're looking for. <laughs> I see people chasing all of this, and they get, like, they get like berated by Christians. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We just need to get them on the right track. And the only way we're going to do that is by love and grace and truth and, and showing them all of that. So God uses this star, this mystical thing that they're following, ultimately to bring them to Jesus. So um, verse 3. So they get there, they get into town. They don't go to Herod right away. They're just asking around. Where's the king of the Jews? You gotta be here somewhere. Y'all must know about this, right? <laughs> Y'all must, he must be here somewhere. Where's the palace? Where are we going? You know, where, where is this new king? And so they're asking around. And verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, naturally. Generally speaking, when a king finds out that there is another king somewhere, they don't like that. So um, he's troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. Of course, the stir is starting to be, who are these guys? Who, is the, who are they talking about? What's this king? So verse 4, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he gets all his smart guys together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who is, will shepherd my people Israel. That's Micah 5.2. So these, these smart guys come to Herod and they say, yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So why does, why does Matthew include this? Fulfillment of prophecy, right? You guys should have known. You should have seen. He is fitting all the requirements of this. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. In fact, we have, um, well, I say we, scholars smarter than me <laughs> have identified uh, up to 48 messianic prophecies. So prophecies in the Old Testament that speak specifically of the Messiah, the Savior who would be coming. 48 of them. Jesus, in his life and ministry, fulfilled all 48 of those prophecies. Most of those were completely outside of his control. Right? Where he is born, not in his control unless he's the Son of God. Right? So if he's just a normal baby, if he's just an average guy, he has no control over where he's born or who his mother is or how any of that works. All right, so he fulfilled all 48 of those prophecies. The likelihood of any one person fulfilling all 48 of those prophecies, and it's never ever happened in the history of the world except in Jesus, the likelihood of somebody fulfilling all of those prophecies is astronomically low. It's, the math is, is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. It's zero, okay? That number is zero. Mathematically, it's not zero, but it's zero. There's no way. And beyond just the messianic prophecies, they've also identified over 300 other prophecies that he has fulfilled in Scripture. The chance of him doing that, especially most of them being completely outside of his control, he had no control over. I mean, the prophecies, some of the messianic prophecies say that he's going to be born of a virgin. He, He was. Born in Bethlehem, he was. The prophecy says that he will enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He did. Now he had control over that. He told, he told him to go get that one. All right. 
said he would be betrayed by a friend. He was. Again, we probably all fulfilled that one, but, you know, that's another story. But specifically, the prophecy, says, the prophecy said that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's very specific. And he was. Prophecy says that he is going to be executed by having his hands and his feet pierced. Hundreds of years, by the way, before, exec- before crucifixion was even created as an execution method. It was predicted. It says that he would be executed without having a bone broken, which would have been really strange for crucifixion because when you were crucified, they would break your legs. The whole point was to, to suffocate under the weight of your own body. And so they would break your legs to expedite, expedite the process, but Jesus wasn't. And so, again, that prophecy was fulfilled. The prophecy says that he would be given vinegar to quench his thirst, and he was. It says that even though he was crucified as a criminal or would be executed as a criminal, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And he was. And the prophecy said that he would be raised from the dead. And he was. That's just a few of them. And so Matthew's continuously pointing these out and saying, you should have seen, you should know. He he checks all the boxes. Check, check, check. He's the one you've been waiting for. And I know for you and me, because I would, I would imagine the majority, I know some of you, but not the majority of you were probably not raised Jewish and weren't raised with all of these prophecies and a, an adept understanding of what these prophecies are and what we're looking forward to and all of that. And so this may not have the same kind of weight for you that it had for them then, but today it should give us a tremendous amount of confidence to know this had been written about for thousands of years And then when all of these things are fulfilled, it gives us a tremendous amount of confidence in Jesus that he is the Savior, he is the Messiah. We don't need to keep looking for this person because he has already been here and he has already done the work. He gave his life, he lived completely without sin and he gave his life on the cross to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and to pay the penalty for our sin. And if we trust in him, Jesus, on the cross, knowing that he was resurrected on the third day, if we trust in him, we can be children of God. The sacrificial lamb dies in our place, and we can be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with him now and forever. And Matthew's like, you should have seen this, and I wish now you would see it to his audience. So what do the, the wise men do then? Uh, verse 7, let's keep going with them. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, so finally after he talks to his, all his smart people, then he pulls the wise men and talks to them. He determined from them what time the star appeared. So Herod, pause, Herod is building a timeline because he's got to get rid of this king. So he's, he brings them in and he says, when did you see that star exactly? Um, and, and people love to talk about the timeline of the wise men. When were they there? You know, we've got our nativity scenes and our nativity scenes, we've got the wise men there. And so you look and people want to get, well, when did they show up? And, you know, some people say, well, well, you know, he, he, the decree from Herod is, is for all the children. Ultimately, if you don't know this, this is tragic and terrible. It's Herod's choice, not God's. But Herod decides to kill all of the, the, the sons under two years old in the area to try and just wipe it out, just broad brushstroke, um, and, and to take out this king. And so some people say, well, it must have been up to two years later. It was a year later, a year and a half later when they showed up. And that's possible. It's also possible that the, sh- the star showed up a year and a half or two years before Jesus was born. So it is possible they were there. Um, and so everybody wants to talk about the timeline and figure it out. Here's the deal. We don't know. 
probably they were there later. The, um, Luke, he uses the word for babe when he does his nativity story. And Matthew uses the word for a young child. They're two different words. And so probably Jesus is a little older. But if we do that, then we got, I mean, now we need two nativity scenes. We got, so we're going to have the one that's going to have the, the cows and the sheep and the manger and the straw and Mary and Joseph and the little roof thing. And the, we're going to have that one, right? No star over the top, right? If you're following that timeline. So, so you got the little roof thing, even though they were probably in a cave or in a basement or whatever. But you, you got that little scene. Now we got to have a scene over here that's a living room, you know? Like Mary's sitting there and she's frustrated because she's been up all night, like feeding Jesus and hadn't gotten any sleep. And Joseph's over making, you know, he's warming up a bottle or whatever. And there's toys everywhere. Like we, we don't need two nativities. So just, let's just say they were there at the same time. That's good enough for now. Okay. It doesn't really matter. So we don't need to get lost in the weeds. But again, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, feel free. It's, it's kind of interesting, but whatever they show up and he says, well, you know, when did you see this star? He's trying to build a timeline um, to find this King. And, uh, and then verse eight, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring word back to me that I may come and worship him also. <laughs> no. <laughs> Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the child was. So the star moved. That's, that's a cool thing to think about, where it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. And they're in a house now, by the way. But anyway, uh, when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Another fascinating uh, rabbit hole is to go into the gifts and what they were. But here's, here's the thing that stuck out to me. Because what Matthew's trying to do with his gospel is he is trying to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And ultimately that we would see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's fulfilled all of this prophecy. When the, when the wise men are looking for the king of the Jews, and they've just been in Jerusalem, when the star moves and they find this king in a normal house, with normal parents, not a queen and not a palace, they do not seem the least bit phased. They don't, they don't get to that house and say, well, obviously this isn't a king, right? He doesn't look like a king, doesn't smell like a king, must not be a king. This isn't a palace, and so we're just going to take our, our gifts and we're going to go back to Jerusalem and wait. No, they arrive at the common house and they walk in and they bow down and they worship him and they present their gifts to him. Why are they willing to look past all of their other expectations and still worship this king that's right here? Because all of the signs pointed to that place. In their case, it's the star. For the Jews, it's the scripture. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the prophecies Look past your expectation of what a king is supposed to be and see that Jesus is him. That's what Matthew wants them to see. What I would encourage you to do today, if you've never done this before, is to look past all of the expectations 
or the smoke screen that people have created around Jesus to see who he really is. There's a, there's a lot that is said about Jesus and who he should be or who people think he is. But he is who he is. And so I think our reactions to this, depending on where we're coming from, might be different. Maybe you were raised in a Jewish home. All right? Maybe you're watching on you know, YouTube and you were raised in a Jewish home. And you want to know whether Jesus is the Messiah that you've been looking forward to. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Read it all the way through and hear him out. And look at prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Look into the prophecies and the life of Jesus and see how they line up. And if you do that, and if you do that with an open heart and an open mind, then I believe you will find it to be true. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And when you realize that, trust him for salvation. Trust him. His death on the cross in your place. Put your faith in him. And by the grace of God, you will be saved and you will be with him forever. Jesus was put on the cross. Jesus gave his life in our place and he rose again on the third day. Maybe you're an American. Maybe you were raised with church around you, Christian church around you or no church around you. And that doesn't mean nearly as much to you. But I want you to know, if you haven't seen this before, all signs point to Jesus. And the, and the mysticism and the spiritual, spirituality and all of these things that we, that we create as human beings to try and supplement or to, to replace what is really true, those things are false. They're, they're shadows of what's true. And if you look into the life of Jesus, you will see that his life and his love is what you've actually been looking for. Read, read the Gospel of John and see how Jesus loved people and interacted with people. And see that he loves you and that God wants a relationship with you and he has a plan and a design for your life that is, that is how the designer designed it. And it is the best way to live and the best way to love. And when you see that, when you see that Jesus is the truth and all the signs do point to him, put your faith in him for salvation whether that's today or whether that's down the road, put your faith in him for salvation and trust him to save you and become a part of the family of God. Maybe you, like me, have already done this, did it years ago, put my faith in Jesus, and maybe you have too. Then this should be a season of confidence for us. As we read through the Christmas story and we see the prophecies, as we look at the Old Testament and we see that Jesus has fulfilled over and over and over again, it increases and grows our confidence in the faith and the hope that we have, knowing that he is the son of God, he is the son of David, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he has saved me, he has saved you, and once this world, once we're delivered from this world, <laughs> when that time comes and we continue eternity with him, he will set all things right. And when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom here, we will live with him. We will reign with him. We will enjoy this world as it was supposed to be from the beginning. And so we can learn from Matthew, even if we aren't his original audience, we can learn from him and see that our king has come. And one day, though he hasn't yet, one day he will sit on the throne and he will rule 
and he will rule in a way that no human has ever ruled. He will rule with grace and with mercy and goodness and humility and love. All the things we wish we would see in our rulers, but never will, not until he comes. And so this is a season to look forward to that and have confidence in it. All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you and are so thankful that we have this confidence that this is nothing new. You, you've been preparing the world for this for generations. You've been teaching. You've been setting examples. You've been giving systems. Then you gave the law and all this. You've de you developed your people all to point everything toward the one who would come, Jesus, Emmanuel, the Christ. And so we thank you so much in this season for the confidence that we have to know that Jesus is king. One day he is returning to reign and we can be your children by your grace through faith. And so if there's anybody with us or anybody watching or listening to this that wants to put their faith in Christ for the first time, do that right now. Whether it's because you're confirmed through the, through the prophets, whether it's because you have seen God's work in your own life, you look at the cross, you see the Savior giving his life for you, rising again on the third day, and you choose today to put your faith in him for salvation, to trust in him for salvation. And God, as they make that choice, we know that you welcome them into your family, into our family. And now as we walk together, now as we worship together, now as we serve together, we're looking forward to the day, Jesus, and preparing ourselves for the day, Jesus, when you will return here and will reign on the throne of David. And so we look forward to that day. And as we wait and as we worship through the Christmas season, we ask God that you deepen our faith, you deepen our appreciation, you deepen our hope, you deepen our confidence, and you deepen our joy, all found in Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.